The Leadership Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and actually be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This podcast is also sponsored by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communication experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organizations more visible with custom branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide format printing for signs as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Actually, Instant Imprints decked out Speak Boise so beautifully, and Eric takes such good care of his clients. He's an incredible guy. You will want to work with him. Want better ways to get noticed? Visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com slash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That's 208-467-7468. Welcome everyone to the Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith. You guys get ready to laugh, maybe cry, but most definitely be inspired. Let's get started. Hey everyone. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for this podcast interview. You guys, this girl has been in my life. It feels like forever because of all the memories we've created, but I think it's been since 2015. I met Natalie within our network marketing company and we went on like a retreat together and she was like this brand new newbie. And I was like, oh, I love this girl. I fell in love with her immediately. It took her a few days to, you know, like me and like actually want to be my friend because I'm a little strange. But after that, she fell in love and we've been roommates for life. Um, But you guys, she is one of a kind. And when I got to know her really quickly, I realized her story had to be heard. She is someone who not only lights up a room and transforms, she's a, a transformational person, but her being in my life has helped my life transform. And I just, I just need for the world to hear her story. Um, and I'm kind of that friend who pushes her out of her comfort zone to force her to share her story and help people, um, with what she's gone through. So you guys, I've learned so much from Natalie, not only how to be resilient in my own life, um, but about her work ethic, um, I mean, how to move my body, take better photos, um, how to build us from build a business from the ground up, um, how to be a better wife, a better communicator, um, how to run my Instagram. Oh my gosh, the list goes on. I'm so forever grateful for this gorgeous girl in my life, and I cannot wait to dive in. Here's something that I want you guys to hear. Okay, her life has been anything but easy, but I'm going to start with what a lot of her success has been. This is only a few. This is just like a little snippet of all the successes that she's had. So she sang and danced at the Sydney Opera House. She's danced with big names like Derek Huff, had a CD album, two singles at the age of 19, had a radio show, and she was the host of a TV show at age 15, a game show 
six-figure network marketing earner, network marketer earner at 34. She ran and managed Victoria's Secret. Um, she traveled, has traveled the world, married, and has two beautiful boys. She's from Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne to Maui and manifested the life that she has now. She is an author, a podcaster, a course writer, multiple courses. If you guys will hear more about that in the later episodes to come and a dance teacher, but not only that, she's one of my best friends. So Natalie, I'm so excited that you're here and I kind of just want you to take us back because like I said before, you not it, life hasn't been easy for you. And I feel like you ha- have like the most tenacious spirit. Um, and you came from a single mom, you know, home of domestic violence. You're the oldest child and you've moved over, over 30 times. I think by the age of like, gosh, whatever, 15, I don't know. You tell us, but always the new kid. And you met your real dad, um, when you were really, when you were like in your twenties. So, and then, you know, you, you also were divorced. And so we kind of just want to go back, take us way back into what childhood was like in Australia. Oh my gosh. First of all, what a beautiful introduction. I'm so excited. We've talked about this for so long and here we are doing this. And I know you said like this podcast episode may get emotional and already just by the introduction, the beautiful things you're speaking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm welling up. So I'm just so honored and so happy to be here and share um, my story. You know, I'm really, really excited. So thank you. I love you. And this is just so fun. Um Gosh, take you back. Okay, well, gosh, you know, you know probably better than anyone, Meredith, that my story is so layered. So, what do you, where do you want me to start? Because there's so many different stories I could tell you. Like, I know. What do you want to? What? Yeah, I know. Like you're, that's the thing is like, you're going to have a movie one day and it's always going to be like a four part series. Um, no, take us back. Okay. So like growing up in Australia with your single mom. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, take us back to that because you're very independent child. Yeah. Why yeah. were you so independent? Yeah. yeah so, uh, you know, I, yeah, I grew up with a single mom till the age of eight, and I have a lot of memories of little things, you know, as, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but as I've, you know, like adulted, as I've kind of been going through my adult life, I have kind of flashbacks or more like unpacking of, of things that happened in my childhood, and um, yeah, and so like when I think about that, I have memories of like Packing, I was telling my son this the other day. I was like, in Australia, just so people understand, they don't have school buses that are like for your school, like you catch public transport. And he's like, like, what do you mean? Like with other kids? And I was explaining to him, no, like I started school when I was four. In Australia, you start in kindergarten, which you go, I think it's the same here, yeah. And I was like, no, I was four years old packing a bus, a public bus with like grown businessmen, like hoping I get off at the right stop and the same thing was with like my ballet class I remember my mom just like putting me on the bus and I remember thinking like I don't know when to get off and I was five (laughs) that is crazy yeah I remember I made it and I used to go like she did put me in great ballet school but I also remember she forgot to come get me and I remember this one time in particular I was five 
and I'm standing out. It's in, it's on Old South Head Road, which is like in a really nice area, like Whole Foods or Bay area, it's like the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um, and luckily, I must have been the ballet the school was closed, like everyone had gone. And these this old couple were like, "Hey, you've been standing here by yourself." I was probably in my ballet getup, and they're like, "We want to take you home." Thank goodness. Like I've had so many moments like that. Honestly, that I could tell you where I feel like angels came and like took me home yeah. because, yeah. And so, you know, just instances like that and other things. Like, I grew up with a mom who was doing her absolute best, but she just didn't have the tools to, um, you know, really, I don't know, nurture and, and kind of have, you know, this responsibility of a child. She, she had a really, you know, hard childhood and she has so much love but just in her communication and in her execution of motherhood you know there's a lot of struggles for her and for me as a result I love her dearly we have a great relationship that fast you know right. there's plenty of times where I found her like now I'm like she's probably passed out you know with a lit cigarette and I was like four and I'd go and put it put it out for her and like tuck her in and like go to bed and um you know plenty of things like that she just wouldn't be home uh, and it's hard you know being a single mom and wanting to have relationships and she didn't have family around she lived interstate so you know I understand now as a mom like you know I went through kind of this phase of like a little bit of anger a little bit of uh yeah just anger and not understanding it now as a mom I'm like gosh like I have a lot of compassion for her and her struggle yeah and her life right you know I think that like becoming a mom, you give, you have so much more grace for your own mother. And like uh, then you like also profusely apologize for things that you've done. (laughs) Right. I know you were crazy. I was the worst childhood. Yes. I was the worst teenager. Like I was an amazing, she tells me like I was the most well-behaved child. Yeah. But when I hit those teenage years, holy. Yeah. yeah. I know you were smoking, getting cigarettes, going on a boat to get to another place to get more (laughs) cigarettes. Oh my gosh. So crazy. Well, okay. So tell me really quickly, like you, had you ever met your dad before? Like when did, when was like, I don't know. You know? Yeah. So I have memories. I didn't really hear the thing. Like I obviously grew up with a single mom. I didn't know my dad. So I didn't know him at all. I actually didn't even know that I had a dad. So I didn't even have the knowledge that, like, I, that's what you have. Like, I just thought some people do, some people don't. Like, it didn't actually even cross my mind, like, where's my dad? Until I was honestly in high school, which high school in Australia is seventh grade. I think it was around seventh or eighth grade. I was like, wait a second. I have a stepdad at that point, you know? And I was like, where's my dad? And I'd heard my mom talk about him, but it didn't, like, click. Yeah. So I, I I do have memories, I think, of him, you know, like of them fighting when I was, I think, like a year old. But I didn't meet him until I was 27. And that was on my own doing. Like, and that that's kind of upsetting, too, because I was this, I was married previously and I had that marriage and wedding in Australia. And I invited him because we'd been in contact at that point and he didn't come. And so in order for me to meet him. I had to go to him, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, that's upsetting. Like, you just would hope that your own father would want to come meet you, see you, love being invited. Yeah. 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 Well, and then how old were you when you got a stepdad? 
so that happened when I was seven. So I was seven. So I remember, here's the thing. We lived when I was this childhood being, you know, the ballet school and my mom and all that stuff. We lived in a huge share house in a really beautiful area of Sydney. Um, just kind of near Bondi. That's probably something that people would understand. Yeah. Um, just around that vicinity. And it was a huge, beautiful home. And my mom lived there with a bunch of other people. It wasn't the best environment to be raising a child in, especially when she's not home. So she works like long hours in the city in Sydney. And sometimes she'll get a taxi to come pick me up at school and drive me to her work. And I sit and watch her work. She's amazing what she does, sales. And um, yeah, so in this house, my he moved in. He moved in, and that's how they met. And then oh. she was gone a lot, and I didn't know where she was. And she was with him. And um, I went, I used to go to my grandmother's house in Melbourne. So my mom would fly me into state for like six weeks of a holiday, school holidays over the summer in Australia when Christmas is. And I would be flown down there for my mom to have a break, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember coming back and she's like, I have a surprise for you. I think I was six or seven. And I'm like, cool, what is it? And we'd moved in with him. Oh, Oh, no, sorry. We'd moved out. We'd moved out of the house. We didn't live with him yet. We moved out of the house. But it's like they were together and all the time. Like it's basically that he lived with us. So that was like, I didn't like that because I felt, I think I had this real at that moment, like, made, had an awareness or made an agreement that, like, I was no longer my mom's partner. Like, I felt like, you know, the two of us, it was the two of us. And now I was like, wait, you made a huge decision without me? Like, Mm -hmm. this seven-year-old girl is, like, cold on the subject. So, yeah, yeah, that wasn't cool. So they got married. She fell pregnant, and they got married when I was eight. And I remember at the wedding, my grandma, my mom's mom, coming to me and saying, like, you have a dad now, like, you need to call him dad. And I was so angry because we'd already started on, in, like, a bad way with him. And I didn't want to call him. He wasn't my dad. I didn't want to call him dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and I, it's, like, yeah. So that's when it started. And they were together for um, 10 years. And is and that, <laughs> is that where, when the abuse, when did the abuse, like, start happening? The verbal abuse, honestly, was even before that. I remember waking up in this shit house. You know, I had another girl live at the house with my age. She was my best friend, and our mums were friends. And there were other some other men that lived in the house. And then my uh, my stepdad lived in the house too. And um, I remember waking up one night, and there was a big fight, like an argument between all the adults, and they were talking about me. My bedroom was closer to the kitchen. And he was just saying, because I, I guess I ate with my mouth open. I think I was six or five. And he was just like, she eats like a dog. And everyone was defending me. And he just kept, like, putting me down. And I, that was my first real memory of him. And then, so it just kind of started there where it was just this more rejection and criticism. Yeah. So it started in that place. And it just slowly moved to physical abuse um and emotional 100 yeah. percent. which you know coming out of that is the emotional stuff it's, it's really heavy yeah. to have to deal with yeah especially that young um and hearing it from not like a little kid where you can be like oh just ignore them a little kid but like an adult and you this idea yeah. as a child you're like adults t- 
tell the truth or, you know, I don't know, like adults are, wouldn't speak like that. And so, yeah, you hearing that, I can't Hardly. imagine. Yeah. And being, yeah. I, I always put myself in like my daughter's shoes. So like, you know, she's nine, but if she were to be seven or eight to find this out, oh my gosh, my best friend, who's my mom, like meets this guy who doesn't like me, who's mean about me. How could she, you know, like I can just like feel that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard. And I also felt like who I had to be for my mom's happiness was quiet. Mm. You know, like I had to be quiet about it. I couldn't, I didn't feel that I could confide in her. I couldn't because then it would kind of betray her vision and her hopes of having a happy family. Yeah. And so when she had my sister, I did, I just always felt like I was in the way. And because there was such turmoil within our family and such chaos, of course, I felt like if I wasn't here, they would be a happy family. Yep. Um, yeah. And so just kind of that um, burden, awareness, like, you know, feeling like, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but just feel like if I wasn't here, everything would be better for all of them. Like, it's right. my fault. My sister would be better. My mom would be better. He would be better than have a happy family. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and it's interesting as a parent, like, you know, we, I have like a 12 year old and a nine year old and I hear my son say things like, you don't love me. And I'm just like, you know, like you grow, you grow up like in a really great <laughs> household and I'm really confused. Like yeah. I can see why other children who may have different like dynamic could think that, but I'm like, you, <laughs> you're spoiled. <laughs> no, but, um, Okay, so so then your sister was born, and you. I remember you telling me this, and I don't kind of take us back, but you're eight years old, eight or nine years old, but you were like pushing your sister in a stroller to church or something, like down the way. Yeah. So like, were you like left alone a lot? Yes. Yeah. Like we didn't really spend a lot of quality time as a family at all. Like my parents worked. Um, my mom worked and my stepdad worked and then, uh, you know, he had like, he, he's really well known in the music industry in Australia, very well known. And so he would do, you know, like gigs and tours and stuff after his nine to five. He was a music, musical journalist for really well known magazine. And, um, so they were gone a lot. Um, and I, was left at home with honestly like in retrospect I'm glad you know because when when they were home it was like tension yeah energy was very you know tense um and you just never knew like what was going to happen um but yeah when we we moved into a new community and again and um you know I don't know if they were just sleeping or like if they were working I don't know where they were but I just remember being like curious and bored and feeling extremely responsible um and independent and I found this church I don't even know how I found it and looking back now I think I looked it up on maps it was quite a ways away like I I think it's well over a mile and I would take my like two-year-old sister I was 10 and I would push her in a stroller and I would go to this church and like on Sundays and it was full of just like these elderly women and we just sit and have like biscuits or cookies and tea and just talk and it was in the big hall and yeah my little sister would play with like the toys and stuff and I I don't even know what I was doing but yeah I was I went and my parents didn't know you know what I was doing and then I remember I befriended this girl who lived 
somewhere. I, you know, I think actually they were homeless and she was filthy and she, you know, she had learning difficulties. And I remember bringing her to my house one time and bathing her in the bath, like washing her. And it was like black water. Oh yeah. my and gosh. Yeah. She was younger than me, like much younger, but I just, yeah. You've just always had this like, like independent motherly like, I want to take care of you. Like, let me help you. And it's, it, I don't know, you tell me. It could be because you're like, I, or someone's not taking care of me. So I'm going to take care of me and I'm going to help others and take care of them. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I'm not as much like that anymore. Like, I, or at least in this season of my life, I'll be honest. Like, I think it's just kind of lip flopped a little, but um, because I've become quite protective. And I yeah. think it's just part of the unpacking of everything. But definitely, I think it was that I was mothering my mom. Yes. You know, and so I just assumed that role outside of my, yeah. like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm a child. Like, I do different. It's like, I just assumed this role because I would look after her. And um, and then I would look after my sister. And right. then when my other sister was born, I, like, everyone thought she was my daughter. So, yeah, I think I just assumed this role of, um, almost codependent for sure within our family, but of mothering yeah. everyone, and and it wasn't until I really moved away that I was able to break. I mean, and I'm saying moved away of like nearly thirty years old that yeah. I was able to break that because I had a huge responsibility to be the one that could think through. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that can relate to this, think through the issues in the family. Like everyone would come to me to be the one to kind of quote unquote solve it. Yeah or think it's true for everyone. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, because, so like you started that independence super young and like the mothering, but you know, when did like the other abuse start, like the physical abuse and then, you know, and then what did you do in that, in those situations? Mm, well, such a good question. You know, honestly, I can't remember when it actually, I can't remember the first time that I was hit um, or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, it was like, in, it was just constant. Like it was what seems like, in, you know, daily for sure. Um, but any time that we were around him, I just, it was like a slap on the face, a slap in the back of the head, a push, a punch. Um, one time in particular, I must have been in sixth grade, I think. And I think I just answered back or something in the morning. I wasn't going quick enough to to go to school, which, by the way, I was the first kid at my school, like, and literally on the on the playground, like an hour before other kids started showing up. Like I was, and it was in like not a great area, and just I would just sit in the corner, like near this bush, but no one would find me. Oh my and then I was the last one, the last one to be picked up at daycare, like at night, at like eight thirty, seven thirty, eight thirty at night from after school care, but. Um, oh my gosh, what were you asking me about? About the abuse. Yeah, sixth grade, first time, yeah. Yeah, I remember this one time that I must have answered back or something and he just grabbed me and like pushed me to the floor. Sat, I was like face down into the wooden floors and he just sat on my like shoulders and back and like my head and was just feeding into my back. And I remember the hardest part about that, I was screaming, but the hardest part was that my mom was just standing right there. And I think now, like, I'm so protective of even discipline in my home. You know, it really triggers me. Yeah. And I just want to make sure that 
mm-hmm. we're doing the right thing. And so I get really triggered and I'm overprotective. So I can't imagine. Yeah. I just don't understand that, you know. And, it, you know, my mom was a victim of it too occasionally. So she would get beat up and, you know, uh, usually here's what would happen. They would be fighting and I would be woken up. They would wake me up to be the, like, mediator. Yeah. And I'm, like, in sixth grade or fifth grade. And sometimes my mom would be drunk. He didn't drink. He didn't take any substances. Um, so, which was kind of hard to gauge, like, when he was going to be like, because there wasn't anything that I could, like, put down to that, oh, he's drinking, therefore this. Yeah. It's just, you know. Um, and they would wake me up, and it would be all hours of the night or the morning, and I would be mediating, and they'd be screaming. And if he ever went to do something, I was there to kind of, like, protect my mom and get in the middle, and I would take the brunt of anything. Yeah. And so when I woke up this one time, you know, in seventh grade, and I remember in the morning, my mom was going to work and she had a black eye and she had carpet burns on her elbows. And I was like, I felt like I had betrayed her. Like I felt so bad that I didn't even know that it had happened, that I wasn't, I was like, when did this happen? Like, why wasn't I there? You know, just all of these things. Anyway, I think I ended up having the day off school or I left early and I remember my mom calling me she was working at an Aboriginal art gallery at the Sydney Opera House in the city so we lived like in the suburbs and she called me and she's like get a pen get a paper and she just started rattling off like toothbrush backpack you know clothes and I'm writing it down because I want you to go grab all of these things pack a bag go get your sister from school and catch the train into Sydney yeah and we ran away and we, we had planned um that night she's like we're just gonna go stay out of women's refuge like just until we find where we're gonna go my youngest sister at that time was five okay and so I did and we caught the train in and so just experiences like this like it makes you grow up real quick like you don't have any time to be afraid or like question what you're doing you just it's everything's just happening that you just do it and so other things in life don't seem scary at all and so you know, we, instead of having a state of women's refuge, thank goodness, one of my mum's beautiful friends said, come, you guys can sleep on the couch until we moved out. Yeah. And we moved away from him for probably like six months. And then she went like that. And I stayed in the house that we moved into with my aunt. And I was 13. My aunt was in her 20s. And it was the best freedom of my life. Yeah. <laughs> until the lease was up. And I had to go back. And I was so mad. Oh. Um, and we, yeah, we were there for like another three years until he left but and then the, yeah so go ahead oh gosh. Well, well yeah it, it just continued all the time like it was just it was in public he would like slap my face at the shop at the supermarket call me out like say the you know he'd come to pick me up to my friend's house and just really criticize me like in front of two them and make it super awkward like oh she's so stupid like I've met more intelligent girls than her I'm so sorry that you had to have her and, and they're like she's I, you know, I made sure my mom did teach me to be super polite, helpful, and have manners. And yeah. so it was just, it was just really hard, you know. Yeah, it's so interesting because, like, the person you turned out to be, like, without, like, this serious anger issues that, like, I would assume you would have and, like, just the way that you, like, I've, I've lived with you for a little bit. And so like seeing how you speak to your husband, how do you speak to your kids? I'm like, gosh, oh, she's like a fairy godmother. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I am not you know, like I that. That's why. Yeah. I think that's why, because I remember actively thinking at the 
time. I, I remember having the thoughts of watching my mom and, you know, my mom was crazy. Yeah. Like she really was crazy too. Um, and I remember just being like, gosh, you know what? I'm never going to be like that. Like I made yeah. a decision at a very young age and having that, you know, observing how people communicated and thinking they could say the same thing, just in a different tone, in a different way. I yeah. never want to be like that. And so I, I've made a really conscious effort to have empathy. Yeah. yeah. And that's like when I'll ask you, okay, wait, how do I say this? And I'll say it like so rude <laughs> to my husband. Can you rephrase that so I can say it? like nicer <laughs> like Meredith maybe you're like you could actually just like not say those words <laughs> so helpful um okay so then you lived with your mom your aunt your aunt okay your aunt and then had to move back home so like what do you think that is that drew your mother back into that to put her kids into that ex- like situation again yeah that's a good, really good question, and it's one that I would like the answer to. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, is there a way that we can talk to, like, almost like warning signs or what you can say to a woman who's like, well, but he doesn't hurt me that bad, or, like, what that would be. Like, he really loves me deep down. Like, what? I don't know. Yeah. So it's kind of layered, and I'm not excusing his behavior because his behavior is absolutely wrong. My mother's behavior was also wrong. It would push his butt. It was just like this awful chaos. So um, it wasn't like, you know, yeah, anyway, I'm not saying, I'm, I don't want to sound or make an excuse for anyone's right. bad behavior. Everyone was acting poorly. Mm-hmm. But in in the years after, you know, as when I had my son, a lot of, this is when probably most of this stuff started to actually well up for me, when it was when I became a mom. And I just, oh, I'm going to get emotional. But I just, that's when it really hit me. Before that, I kind of suppressed everything. I was running from it. I was trying to achieve my my way away from any of my past. Like, it will have no hold on me. I am going to work so hard that no one will even know that's what I came from. Right. You know, I didn't want to be a victim of it. But doing that was actually acting in the victim of it, right? But um, I remember asking my mom, and I said to her, Mom, I just wanna I just wanna know one thing. One I just have one question. When we left, why did you go back? And she said, Your sister needed her dad. And that for me was like like a, the biggest gut punch ever. Because at the expense of my well being, at the expense of me being abused mm-hmm. and treated like absolute dirt, mm-hmm. my sister it, it was at my expense for her to have that relationship. And now, you know, honestly, I think that my mom at the time just was so defensive and was in her ego and was just didn't know what to say and didn't didn't maybe hadn't faced that herself. So even though it was really painful to hear over time, I'm like, I haven't asked her again, but I just have like, I'm not excusing that. I just have to, I, if I want to move forward, you know, I have to find peace with it and just respect that everyone's on their own journey. And, um, you know, she probably thought things could work out and they, you know, I'm sure she had a vision and, yeah. it, you know, it can, like if people act poorly, I truly believe we can all change. There's, we're not, we make sure we have choice. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was really hard. And the thing is, is that he did keep, treat my sister like a princess to the point where he would feed her and not feed me. He would take her out for the weekend and say, you're going to clean the entire 
huge house, Cinderella, like enjoy your weekend. I'm like, I thought my mum knew this stuff was going on. She was at work. She had no idea. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, oh. um, yeah, that was really, really hard. And, I, you know, I don't know why she went back. I think that she, you know, it was just like a codependency. It was a toxic, toxic thing. And she just wanted that validation right. or you know yeah and like that's the thing is we just we don't know and that's her journey like you said and there's probably this you know deep hole that she's trying to fill this void nothing to do with you you know as much as you want it to do with you because you were best friends and you know so like there's just there's so many layers well so yeah you know living there for three years but then you met a boyfriend mm-hmm. right was that like the kind of like the beginning or like how were you escaping all of it. And were you just like gone? Like I would be just gone. I didn't even grow up in a house like that. And I was just gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was gone. Like, as, I mean, I was gone from a really young age. The minute that I, I was doing sleepovers at my friend's house all the time. And because I was at, at that age, like so well behaved, um, they would love to have me. So I made sure that I was like welcome and, you know, um, did everything I could to kind of blend in with my friends' families, my best friends. I made, you know, my husband laughed. He's like, how many best friends have you had? Like, I thought, you know, and I'm like, well, I just, I don't know. Like, I had these amazing best friends. Don't put a cap on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll take all the best friends in the world. So I just remember, like, basically living at my friends' houses, and I would always become super close to these girls whose moms would do everything, like, would drive me around and, like, really take care of me. When my parents weren't there, they would literally bring me lunch school like my friends would bring me like Natalie I have your a peach and a Kit Kat this one beautiful friend of mine every single day and I just that's just a night I just can't imagine her mom doing that like now that I'm a mom you know I'm yeah. like oh this is so nice and so yeah I did I escaped I lived with my friends as long as I could I would stay out I would um sleep over and dance was a huge part like I'm so grateful because that was a huge financial investment and commitment for them to put me into dance so I was there you know every single day after school till about 8 eight thirty, and on the Saturday mornings and that was my life and when you're moving like that when you're in the moment you can't think like yeah. you, your brain doesn't can't think about life like you're too busy kind of concentrating and being in the moment and so it was a real escape for me and music was a huge yeah. escape for me like yeah. Totally. And so, yeah, I just like R&B, my like 90s R&B, like, <laughs> just all the feels. So yeah. that was my escape. And yeah. then and then it turned into smoking cigarettes um, at, how old was I? Like eighth grade, I think I, ninth grade? Yeah. Yeah, I started ninth grade and um, <laughs> at school, like, I'm going to go get a a pass to go to the restroom and just have a cigarette um because I just felt like it stopped again it stopped me from like crying yeah so yeah hmm and then drinking did that come in like at that young age or yeah yep um I just got in with a crowd that yeah that's you know we were a lot of my friends at this school were hanging out with guys in their 20s and we were like in ninth grade right 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 and so yeah so we you know, we would drink a little bit. I was never like, 
stupid into that kind of stuff at that age because I was aware. I'd seen it on my mom. Yeah. My mom had, was an alcoholic. I'd seen her, like, binge drink and then throw up, like, yeah. after events and stuff in the city. So um, I never really got into that, but I did meet – I wanted male attention. Yeah. You know, I wanted the boys to like me. I went to an all-girls school from seventh to ninth grade. I had no – I grew up in a house with all girls. The only connections I had to guys was my stepdad and my uncle. Um, and that was it. Yeah. And so the minute that I got attention in this other school we'd moved to, um, by the cutest boy, you know, I thought that's all that really mattered. Um, that was my focus. Yeah. 100% all my energy, my grades tanked, and I just wanted him to, I would do anything for him to like me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was really toxic, <laughs> really toxic. We ended up getting married. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was years later, but, and divorce. Of course, but yeah, it was just crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're you're welcome <laughs> to go into any of that if you want. Because how old were you when you started dating him? How old were you when you're engaged and then married? So I think I was like 15, 16 when we started dating, and he came over. It was right after my stepdad had left. And I remember the first time, this is so awkward. The first time I invited him over at the daytime. And he was in my room and my stepdad had left. And there obviously there was whole drama going on with that because that was a whole thing when he left. So he came over to the property to stay our house. And my mom, ha- my mom had a restraining order out on him. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know what was going on outside of my bedroom, but we lived on like a property that was like, he, I saw, I saw, see my stepdad walking by my window. Next thing I hear the police. And so my mom had to call the police to get him taken off the property while this boy that I had the biggest crush on is like in my room, this whole thing's going on. Trying to impress him, didn't really. Yeah. Oh my God. So he's being taken away by the police. We go to leave and like walk back into town and the police wagon goes by us. He's sitting in the back and he just like switched me like stuck his finger up me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, could it be any worse? Like, honestly. It's like Jerry honestly. Springer. You're like, I don't want to be on the show, I promise. <laughs> oh, man. So, it was just, like, a whole thing. And I remember, too, like, so obviously, like, between my parents, we ended up going to court. And there was a whole thing. And I remember the day that I had to go to court, I was petrified. Like, I was shaking. I was going to have to testify and speak against my stepdad. And I remember I was going to school that day. And then I was going to leave school early. And in roll call class, I don't know if they have that. I mean, you go in and they like pull the roll and then you go to your classes. Do they do that in the state? It's like a homeroom, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's similar. Yeah. So I was talking to my friend and I'm like, oh, what do you have going on today? And she's like, we're going on a field trip to the courthouse. And I was like, excuse me, what? I'm and die. she's like, yeah, the, the whole class. I was 15. And I'm like, no, you're not. So I leave school early to go to the court, like go home, get dressed go to the courthouse, I walk in and sit with my mom, my sister, and my little baby sister, and I look to the right, like it makes me feel sick, and the entire legal studies class in 10th grade was sitting there. They all just looked at me. I'm going to die. And I was like, I was already dying, the fact that I had to go to court. Like, I was already petrified. And now to look over and see that they, they could just listen to everything. So my girlfriend that was in that homeroom class, she got up and walked out. But the teachers were there too, and then they got up, and they all got up and walked out. Oh, thank God. So 
and I, I wasn't like a popular girl. Like I really, I was still new at school. You know, it was just the worst. And then everyone knows your business. Like, why are they there? What's going on? It was awful. But it doesn't matter because you move schools again and again and again and again. <laughs> I did. So I did. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I'm a new girl. Wait, you just have to say that really, really quick. Just tell us about being a new girl and your name at roll call. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, okay. There's like a few instances that I remember. One in particular, well, a few in particular. Enrolled in a new school. My mom took me there. We moved. This was in second grade and they call out all the names and it was a new school year. So they're like, raise your hand. If your name hasn't been called, I put my hand up. I'm like, my name hasn't been called. Come up and start. What's your name? Natalie. Natalie. And she's like, oh, I have a Natasha. And I just went bright red because my mom would be like, oh, your name is so beautiful if it was Natasha. And I'm like, what? Why, why like, you what? Wasn't it good enough? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. And I'm thinking, how embarrassing is it? It's like my mom doesn't know my own name or it looks like I don't know my name, yeah. right? Like yeah. the teacher's probably like, what's going on? And then another time, my mom enrolled me in like performing arts vacation care, like over the school holidays. And so I go there. I still have the certificate for my graduation. She enrolled me with the name Anastasia. The same thing happened. Dead. <laughs> they're like, they're like um, why is your name for me? And I'm like, oh, it's Natalie. And we have we have an Anastasia, Natasha, Miss. And I was like, yeah, that, that, I'll do that. That's yeah. Just, yeah, let's sure. Do it. Let's do the thing. So, yeah. And I don't know if any of you have watched this movie, but Hillbilly Elegy, like I just watched that recently. And it's literally my life. Like my mom was just, a little crazy, like, oh, really? And she, I had her watch it, and she called me after and just in tears, and she's like, it's us. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's, you had to put up with that. That's me. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I don't know what she was doing. Like, yeah. I would, I can't imagine. I was just in a constant state of, like, like on edge, like, and embarrassed. Yeah. Like, I was either getting, like, my name wrong, it looks like, in public, in front of my entire class, I now had to like assimilate with, make friends with, yeah. or I'm at the courthouse, or like I'm being hit in public at the shopping at the supermarket where my friends are shopping. Yeah. You know, it was just like a constant. And now in public, I was talking about this with my husband. I hate running into people I know in public. I yeah. hate yeah. seeing people I know, um, and I think it comes from that like PTSD, like a like, trigger. I think it comes from totally. Yeah. And I think that's why I love living in big cities where I have this anonymity yep. and no one knows me. No one yep. knows my past. No one knows anything about me. And I yep. can just be free to be me without these like attachments. Yeah. So yeah, well, I hate seeing people I know. Well, explain because I don't. say hi if you see me. If you see me, just come say hi. <laughs> hey girl. Um, yeah. It's funny because I just posted this photo on Instagram and, and you're okay. And Mehana was like, I bet you rock up to to a Target like that. I'm like, you don't want to see me at Target. You don't want to see what I wear. I'm like, I don't want to know anybody. So no, girl, I don't wear dresses like that. But, um, oh my gosh, I lost my train of thought with that. So, okay, so, but that, tell us, because people don't know, I didn't know living in the States in America, how small is Australia? Like, you, you always tell me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so Australia is like, I guess, the equal landmass to the United States in terms of how, like, the country size, like the landmass, but the actual population is the population of LA just around the coast of the whole landmass majority. Yeah. So small. So 
small. Yeah. Like when you're in a community, you know, whether it's like a church community or a school community, it's like you kind of start to realize like, we all kind of yep, know that person. Yep. Connected. But, I mean, you still feel like, yeah, I mean, in the cities, you definitely don't feel it that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So crazy. I never knew that. And people just don't know that. They're like, oh, Australia's huge. No, actually, it's so small. Yeah. The questions I've been asked are like hilarious. Like, do you guys have traffic lights? Is it like, oh my gosh, is it like dirt roads? You guys have toll roads like it's your freaking job. That's what you have. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's a joke. If you want to drive into the city, it's like $20 just on the toll. Which, yeah. by the way, you mentioning that you were 10 getting on the train to go to Sydney. Look, I'm, I was 33 going to <laughs> Sydney, <laughs> walked to the train with my family until my husband and I were so confused trying to get on that train to go yeah. to the freaking opera house. I was like, I just want to get to Manly and I don't <laughs> understand any of this actually. So I don't know how you did it at 10. Me and all my friends, a lot of my friends, like, in seventh grade, we were all kind of in homes like that. Like, mm. we were all in homes that were, like, wild. Like, yeah. just, we would go to the beach for the whole day, or we would go away for the weekend camping in, like, ninth grade and steal a boat and row across yes, the we ran out of cigarettes. Freaking, before the storm <laughs> comes, you get a boat to tow you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're nuts. Yeah. I love it. Wild. Yeah, but I mean, this is, and so for you to be so well-rounded, so like, let's go back. So, okay, that courthouse situation happened. Your boyfriend obviously saw the Jerry Springer show. So he knew kind of what he was getting into, but you didn't really know what you were getting into. Yeah, the Jerry Springer show was happening at his house too. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. So, um, and it had happened, you know, it it was absolute chaos as well. So I think we just kind of found that relatability in each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, you know, it's so interesting looking back. It's funny because I was literally stalking him last night just to see every now and then I'll be like, I wonder how life is. You know, he was yeah. a huge part of my life. Yeah. And, and I'll always have like I a, a love for him and a respect of his life journey. Um, I'm totally like happy for him, like great. He's on his third marriage and I guess they had a baby, which is you know, good for him. But um just yeah, it was just really sad. And, um, you know, people tried to warn me, like my mom, but I was in such turmoil with her that, of course, I'm not going to listen. And who is she to tell me? Right. Like, like hello. Right. You know, and so um, I didn't know what to look for. I'd never seen a good example right. of West family. I didn't know. Yeah. I thought that it's, it's normal. So, um, yeah, we were married and pretty quick I was, sole bread winner so I was we were both going to university I was um in my undergraduate degree doing dance like so university in Australia is like full time like I was there at like 8 a.m till Sunday 6 like all day in classes all day and then I would go to my job um at a retail um store and then on top of that I would teach dance like three times a week so sometimes I would get home at like midnight and then I would have to write my papers. Mm-hmm. And at that point, because of what I've been told as a child, by the way, I thought I was like really dumb. Like I was like, I'm so stupid. My stepdad has his master's and like that was always held over me, like this education. So that's kind of why I went mm-hmm. and find out that I was like copying my class. Um, I was like, oh my God, I'm actually smart. This is amazing. 
Well, what's so weird is like when I first met you, like we had to give a speech and like I go and I like think I'm doing so good. And then you go and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, do you like write speeches? Have you done this before? You like should teach. You should go up there and teach. And you're like, I used to be a teacher. And I was like, what? I used to write courses. Like, Why are you like scared? What is wrong with you? Anyway, so from, from everyone outside looking in, we're like, she's a genius. She's a robot. How does she do all these things? Yeah. Anyways, more about that later, but keep going. Yeah. So it was just, um, you're so sweet. Yeah. It was just this like toxic thing. So I'm working my butt off like absolutely since I've never been so tired and you know he just was kind of not showing up to work or he would have he would get a new job all the time or be out of work all the time and I would say like what happened and he's like oh I got fired and I'm like oh no and then literally two weeks later what happened oh the boss he tried to like make a move on me and like I was like what What? like totally fine or I'm not even kidding but I was like oh my gosh and then we'd be out with our friends, and I'm like, you guys, what happened to him? Like, his boss made a move on him, and we'd get home, and he was like, you need to not tell that to anyone. I was like, why? Like, it's crazy. I didn't think anything of it. So I'm just, like, in total, like, naive land, like, believing yeah. and trusting. Yeah. And um, I got a job. I had finished my placement as a teacher. I now have graduated, like, with my first degrees. And I got recruited to interstate where my family was to write curriculum for the Board of Education for a Westall Secondary College in Melbourne. Hey. Mm-hmm. And so we moved interstate and that's when it kind of got worse. So he was like, I'm going to do like life coaching at the course online. And I was like, sweet, like you do that. I'll pay for it. It's like three grand, whatever. I'm going to work and I'm teaching dance outside of school. And, um, yeah, come to find out that he had such an addiction to pornography that he couldn't hold down a job. Like, long story short, yeah, you know, yeah. um, that it was so engulfed, like, it just totally engulfed him and consumed him to where he literally couldn't function. Like, yeah. you know, people's addictions get that bad in anything. But, yeah. Like, you know, all, like so, put his health at risk, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, once he was found out by me, that was it for him. And he actually left because he just didn't want to face it. Yeah. And so that was when he just, he's like, I'm out. I'm going to move back to my mom's. And I was like, wait, what? Good for you. And so he left. <laughs> he left. And I just, I moved back home to my family. And, um, yeah. But that it was those who bought a shame. I had a lot of shame. Like, if you don't get married to get divorced, obviously, in retrospect, it was, like, amazing that it happened. I'm so glad. I don't know that I would have had the strength to, like, walk away. Really? My, by myself. Yeah. Like, at hmm. that time. Like, that matters. How old were you? You know, 26. And how long have you, you been married? Three years. No, no. Just over two years, I think. Okay. But we've been together for 10, right? Wow. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Yeah, and I think, like, the part of me that just believes that people can change and, like, you you commit to someone, you're with them through thick and thin. Like, that was kind of my mindset, you know? But that like, gift from him leaving you, think about this, like, is better than, like, what you could have done with the pattern of, like, your mom being like, oh, oh he can totally change. Totally. Right. And that's, that's all that had been modeled to me, right. you know? So it was, the, it was the best gift he ever gave. Totally. Was that he left. 
And we, we said goodbye at the bar. He caught like a greyhound into state. I dropped him off and that was it. I never saw him again. So then, but like, was it immediately after that, that you went to go see, visit your dad or go to, because when no, was the dad situation? No. So I had been in touch with my dad from the age of 16, long snail mail, like letters. And then obviously with like the internet, I don't know if anyone had ICQ, like, I don't know if anyone remembers that program. It was like when we all first, at least in Australia, had the internet at home and it was like a chat program. And I think that's Australian. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Um, so we would chat and then, no, I didn't go and see him right away. I moved home and I just got my life back. Like I just kind of, I actually kind of went introverted. I was really, I talked a lot of cracks and people because I didn't know what was going on. I'm not one to speak poorly of him you know right. online like it's gross to me and no one's business and unless they are you know obviously yeah. here I am sharing <laughs> but um but the thing is is yes yeah, so he left and um I just moved home I shared a bit of room with my sister who was like 19 and it was just fun like she just helped me get back to like fun and mm. that's just like myself and I got a fun job outside of school just to kind of mix with some cool peeps and um, then, you know, I I just wanted to get away from everyone. I wanted to get away, again, in comes to anonymity. Like, I just wanted to be away from my current situation. I wanted to escape. Yeah. And so I talked to, I was like, I think I was teaching my students in dance class. That's what it was. And this was before the gram, before Instagram. <laughs> um, YouTube was just a thing, you know, more mainstream. And one of my students, I was having them do it a, a a school project and he's like yes yes come here we're in the computer lab come here please. and um this whole school was like 99% Polynesian students amazing beautiful kids and he's like eighth grade he's like miss you should go here you can dance like this and it was millennium dance um complex in Hollywood and I was like watching it and I'm like I could totally do that like that would be incredible and so with him Joseph in eighth grade thank you <laughs> Joseph it, shout but, like, out <laughs> yeah, that like that like instigated this whole my everything. So yeah. he said that I went home. I started looking into it. I was like, I'm gonna go. Yeah. I went to the principal, you know, my boss, and I was like, Listen, I need time off. They totally understood. They knew I was going through a divorce. Had gone through a divorce, and um, so this was like much later. And then I, yeah, I, I planned and planned and saved and planned and went and danced for like two weeks at Millennium Dance Complex in Hollywood and it was literally the best two weeks to date of my life. Like and the best. That was the like, just amazing. That was the first time you'd ever been to America. That was the first time I'd ever been to America. Yeah. I just remember I got off the plane, it smelled like cinnamon. From the Cinnabon? Was, like, was it the Cinnabon? <laughs> <laughs> is it close? Everything in the States is like cinnamon and peanut butter. Um, oh. and I didn't know where to eat. So like, I literally didn't eat for like two weeks. I just knew there was a Starbucks and there was a Rite Aid, but the Rite Aid, because it has like a cross on it. I was like, oh, that's like a chemist, like a pharmacy. So I never went in. I didn't know it was like a grocery store. Yeah. So I was like living off frappuccinos and caffeine and yeah. And it was just amazing. Like so transformative. I stayed at the dorm, um, of Millennium and just took every class and it, a lot of like well-known famous dancers and choreographers and it was just like the first time in my life that I had really just cleared my plate for me and done what I wanted and my mom like having her be like you're going 
this is for you. Like, we're going to go book your ticket. And just having her, like, really push me into that was really, really awesome. So that was great. And then from there, Matt, my now husband, had I had met him, like, 10 years later. He knew I was coming out. We caught up. He was staying with a friend in Hollywood. And um, we just hung out. And he showed me around. And so that kind of sparked a little interest after I'd stayed at Millennium. And um, had my first Halloween. and. That's when I left to go see my dad. I left. I had an open oh. ticket. I just, I just bought an open ticket. So right. I went to the state and I was like, I'm already halfway across the world. Yes. Why not go on the I had to book my ticket. So I booked my ticket to go see my dad while I was in the state. So I was yeah. like, can I come see you? And it was really awkward. So I caught a flight into Heathrow, from New York to Heathrow, and then um, met him. And I just remember before I walked, you know, you exit the doors to like come out into where the main area of the airport where everyone is, like the public. I remember I stopped, like I stepped inside, everyone's rushing out. And I'm like, I'm about to meet my dad. Like, I'm about to meet my dad. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I'd been on this flight and I felt so gross. And sure enough, I met my dad. And all I remember is like, he was walking really quickly. (laughs) I was like, I couldn't keep up. He's like six foot four. And um, yeah, and so... We went to Trafalgar Square and he got me a sandwich and a juice and we just sat and watched the cars and watched the people and then we caught the train into the countryside and stayed there. But like, that's very, (laughs) that's very like, (laughs) because I, from what I know is there may have been this huge, I feel like the way that you told this to me, it's like there's this huge palace or something, but it's not a palace. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So we went, so we went to... Stay at my at my grandma's place in the countryside. It was absolutely beautiful. It was very very different though. Like it was completely different coming from the state where I had like danced in LA and I was in Hollywood and then I went to you know Utah and we like was going to friends parties and hanging out and I was trying all the American candy I'd never heard of and doing bonfires to like this quaint little cottage in the south of England and I'm like it's like crickets and. I was just like, whoa, like a massive whirlwind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my dad. Here's my grandma. So then from there, we went to stay with my aunt who owned a chalet at the time in the French Alps. And so she has this huge chalet on the side of the mountain. It's literally like an hour's drive up the mountain. There's nothing there but a ski lift. It was closed. So it was just us, my me, my dad, and her staying there, but it's like this huge, like, four, five-story place. My gosh. And, yeah, we got, my dad and I got into a real awkward, like, confrontation. We went to dinner one night in Spain. We could just drive us right there. We went to dinner in Spain <laughs> just, with my uncle, yeah. <laughs> my my aunt, who we were staying with, and I'd met her before. She'd come to Australia to meet me and take oh. me to, like, a water park and stuff when I was young, yeah. Okay. So... I, I knew her. I felt safe around her. My uncle I'd never met and my dad. And so we went to dinner and I cooked with my uncle. It just wasn't awkward. Like there was tension with me and my dad. And so we're chatting. And as soon as we get in the car to go home, my dad's like, I need to talk to you when I get when we get home. And I was like, I laughed because I was like, okay. Like yeah. literally, I think that's how I answered because I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. I came to you. I came to you. Yeah. And so we got back and he just kind of let me know that he felt like I treated my mom the way I spoke to my mom on the phone and my sister was different than how I talked to him. And I'm like, yeah, I met you three days ago. Like, what do you want me to do? Like sit on your lap and be like, Hey daddy. Like it was, he what? just lost it. He was, 
Yeah, and he got, like, actually, like, physically, yeah. um, like, yeah, he, like, grabbed me and I was I was petrified. Yeah. We were, like, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There was nothing around us. And I heard stories from my mom, you know. Yeah. And so I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was bawling and it was just this whole thing that went on for hours. I went to my room. I locked the door that night and I was meant to stay with him in England after this stay. And I said, no, like, oh, I don't no. want to stay with you. So I went to stay with my cousin who I didn't know. <laughs> She's like in the papers now. She's even more in the papers. Her whole wedding was in the papers. I'm not going to drop her name. Do not. Um, or who she <laughs> married. No. Yeah. But she, um, yeah, so I stayed with the, my cousins who were like my age and, you know, they told me a lot about my dad that I had no idea about. And that was really hard. Like, it was really hard because I was finding out about what I felt like was half of who I was right. to other people. Right. And that, that was hard. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, like, just so much so quick. And, like, I just, uh, I can't even. And, like, that that's where, like, the little Natalie, you know, like, not 27. Like, it's the little Natalie yeah. that's, like, longing yeah. for this father relationship and then it's like okay that didn't work as planned but like (laughs) I mean shifting truly shifting and knowing like your identity isn't in your father isn't in your mother you Uh know but like but we can as like children and humans is like we live out our generational shit curses like we live that out because we think it's our identity when really it's not. And it just comes from heavenly 100%. father. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, that's something that I'm still, well, I think I've, you know, I don't know. I'm still, of course, going through, I think everyone does, but yeah, hearing things like when they told me like, Oh yeah, didn't you know your dad, like he was addicted to heroin, like before he met your mom. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. Like I wanted to, like my ego was like, you don't show that yep. you didn't like don't be shocked like don't let this rock you and so I was like oh yeah but then when I went home I was like wait my dad like me like half of me right. that's me you know so I was a heroin addict so like it was just like you assimilate and yep. I was like no it's not me and I think that's why I mean even before all of that I just I said like really just kept going and moving and achieving and going and achieving and mm-hmm. busy because um yeah, I just wanted to create myself. Right. But I was already created, like you're saying. Like, but like, yeah, but yeah. also chasing this thing that's going to fulfill me, this hole that isn't going to be fulfilled by right. achievements. Exactly. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. The only exactly. thing that's going to be filling. And in people, and I think that we do that too, like with marriage, with like a person, this person's going to fill me yeah. and the person, this person has to say these certain things to me so that I am filled, so that I'm happy and it's never yeah. going to happen. And I think right. that you out of all of my friends has really taught me, we can go a few different ways here because you've taught me like that that person's on their journey. Like let them, they're, they're on their journey. They're not here to fulfill you. You're on your journey and it's all, we're all just bringing each other home and it's like giving people that grace. And I know you and I both had read the book, the four agreements and really like understanding, like I have to be impeccable with my word. I can't take, if it's my fault, if I take offense to that, I don't need to receive it by your, your stepdad calling you, whatever, that's a, I mean, yeah. you were a child, so you didn't know, but like, you don't have to receive those things. because it's not truth about you. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I really have to thank, like, my network marketing journey for taking me. I don't think, like, just listening to you say all that, I don't think that I would, I know I wouldn't be at this point emotionally, um, like, you know, on this, like, journey Mm. of unpacking in the way that I have had I not gone into that environment. So I definitely want to honor that um, because, yeah, it's just, it's a whole lot of undoing for sure. Well, and I think that, too, like, being in network marketing with the personal development and the people that you're around, it doesn't matter what company you're with, the free like guidance that you get and then the friends that you get to meet who are all on this journey to better in themselves that like you and I, you know, talk every single day. So if I'm having a down moment, I, you know, you come in and you lift me up. If you're having a down moment, I come in and I lift you up. Like, it's just, it has to happen. And you guys, if you're, if you don't have anyone in your life like that, you, you, I cannot stress enough, like how badly you need it because you and I both would be stuck where we were. Like we'd be just so lost. Oh my God. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think back to like, you know, cause we have a box of group, like just to bring everyone in. We have a box of group and Meredith, you and I have been in that box of group. Oh my honestly, God. since I think it was like 2014. Yeah. I don't know if it was 2015. I, I don't know. Late 2014. Yeah. We talked almost every day, if not weekly. Four years. Yes. Six years. Yes. And the, I don't know if like like the little traje- trajectory shift that you can have by being in the right environment. Right. You know, don't I think just not downplaying like the environment that you put yourself in and wanting to surround yourself with people who you feel are better than and I don't mean like better than I just mean like can help you. Yeah. You know, in an area where you need it. Yeah. Um, that's what's done to me because I look back on the conversations we were having and where I was at like years ago a couple of years not even that yes, long ago in yes. our boxer group and I'm like oh my gosh like my perspective shifted so much and this the compound effect of mindset work and emotional intelligence is huge and that's I believe 100% where you can break those generational yeah um but you have issues. you have to yeah. have an outsider looking in to like spot those blind spots where you're like you either continue to say these things that you don't know that you're saying that are detrimental to your life because there's life and death in your words. And so when you continually right. speak these things over your life, you are actually like I mean we touched on it really quickly in the beginning when I said she manifested the life she has now, which we can go into later, but she it is so critical to have your words be so specific because you can, it could be detrimental. Yeah, and I think totally. And honestly, I believe that's probably the biggest lesson you've taught me, like in our friendship, is just like really watching what I say and not, and taking it, not seriously, but like, you know, it's like really being aware and conscious of of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've learned a lot of that from you. But getting back to what you were saying before about, honoring people's journey and not being offended and Mm -hmm. not finding the pain yes like when I for example when I think about my stepdad and everything that he did and the years and years of like abuse I understand looking back that like he was an adult probably doing the best like as crappy as it was that he could you know obviously stuff had happened to him to act that way and so I understand that but the part of work I still am dealing with is my own like so like I respect him but like making the agreements that I did at that age that's like the undoing of like you're this you're that so that so even though I honor his journey 
I now need to go back and like undo a lot of the like seeds that were planted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's where the friendship comes in, where I'm like, like, you know, hey, nope, oops, like that's not an identity that you want to like walk with, like remove that, find out. And previous episodes that we have, like the one with Julie Duke with the freedom through forgiveness, remembering, okay, when did that seed get planted? Ask yourself Mm. how old you were. When did that start and set root that you kept watering? You kept believing in it. And the more that you, it's just going to dig its roots down deeper. So removing that lie. And like, I love what you said earlier. It's like, what your stepdad did and your mom was not okay. And telling little Natalie, like, that is not okay. That was not okay to happen to me. I didn't deserve it. Like, cause I think that that's a thing as a child, you're like, I must've done something like, so you shut up, you just completely stopped. And, and what, and what, yeah. what is the most, this is what's interesting. You are so dangerous for the Lord with your mouth. And, and you walking in that for the enemy. So like to shut you up is the best thing that could ever happen. Right. For the enemy. Like right. let's shut her up as young as we can. Cause she's, yeah. you know, and so like, I think it's so important to identify, um, and know, okay, like as a child, where did it set in? It wasn't meant to happen. It's not because I did anything like, but then forgiving, like walking through the forgiveness of your stepdad and your mother, because we, you know, like we think about like, we're just going to screw up our kids, like freaking no matter what, like, Oh my, oh my gosh, God. like what a responsibility we have. <laughs> and I'm not meant to have yeah. this responsibility. <laughs> so like having that, you know, and just saying like, I, I had these, I apologized to people personal. You can do it to them. I apologize. And I forgave certain people not expecting an apology back or like, I forgive you yeah. back. Like I wasn't even, it yeah. was for me to have my freedom. And I think I that, love that, yeah, it's like you, unfortunately you kind of need to go through that to be so free and like having that conversation with your real dad and being yeah. like, and I'm out like free from it, <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so good. It. But like, I think that, you know, going through all of that, and, and like, okay, so something that I wanted to touch on is like, because you've experienced all of these things, it has given you the eyes of, and I've talked about this so much with you, to see people in such a different light that I don't think other people have that gift with whether it's race, whether it is like just um, your class, like you have this, mm-hmm. this view and this love and this heart for people in such a different way, because I think that you have grown up in such a diversity yourself that like nobody else has. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, thank you for recognizing that. And I, I think that that comes from not only my personal experiences, but I have to definitely, um, attribute my mom as well in that because she, she grew up I mean, she grew up in Africa, she grew up in Germany, she grew up in France, she did not grow up in Australia, she literally grew up around the world, her dad was a traveling journalist, and so they would live in these countries for years, and she has seen a lot of things, and ha- and, and so she, it was like firsthand of like, you don't know how good you have it, even in amongst all of that, it's true, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so just knowing like, 
you know, how blessed we are and how, you know, I, I didn't, I just never heard, and probably a lot of people haven't heard, like, I didn't ever hear racism until I was much older, and Australia is really, at least the part that I grew up, it's like a melting pot, like a lot of my yeah. friends were second generation raised, like their parents have fled their country, you know, Greece, Lebanon, um, Israel, um, you know, New Zealand, Tonga, like it was just a melting pot, Vietnam, of my friends whose parents had to leave uh, refugees, yeah. you know, some of them, and make a better life for themselves. And they were like working hard. And um, yeah, so I think, and I, I, I don't know where it comes from. I truly think that it's a spiritual thing. Like, you know, I, I'm like, it's not me. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, yeah, but I truly feel like it's like a gift. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I've been blessed with. Um, that's not me. I don't know how to. I don't know how other, otherwise how to explain it. But I do believe that you know, listening to stories from my mom and having her raise me and being around her. You know, she always was an advocate for the Indigenous Australians, like my whole life. But she still does this work, and just mm-hmm. to have awareness of other cultures other people having empathy for everyone's situation we're all humans you said it like we're all just on a journey back home and no one's better than anyone else yeah no matter what no matter what we're all doing our best and I think when you have that filter it's just easier for yourself um and love can come through you just have a little more love for people and when you try to see them as we were created to be that's my goal like because I've had people say me. Some of my closest friends are like, how do you think like that? It's just so good. And I'm like, you know what? It's just easier though. Yeah. It is truly easier to look at people and just see them as, like, we'll never be able to see them as, as we were created to be, but mm-hmm. to try, you yeah. know, and just see that because it's easier for you. You're going to be kinder to yourself and have the most incredible, diverse friendship. Right. Right. And just giving grace yeah. to everybody in their journey and what I've just seen that so beautifully done by you. And, and it's like, you've written some really beautiful things, even on Instagram and Facebook, just on that topic. You guys have to go follow her. She actually has an incredible podcast called the going all in podcast with Natalie Smith. Go check it out. She interviews women, but she also gives a lot of knowledge, drops a lot of knowledge, obviously she's lived a lot of life. So she's got a lot of knowledge. She's so smart. Like, it's interesting that you were ever told that you guys, I said that she's a robot because this girl, she's like, okay. So like, I, I don't even, I can't even, okay. Let's just say a website. I want to build a website. She'll learn over the course of an hour, how to build a website, build a website, build three websites in the time that I could make, like maybe not even my domain. Like she is, Uh it's bizarre. It's weird. And she like picking up photography. Oh, I just, I'm in a photographer now and I have a website and I can do all these things. I wrote a book like a day. (laughs) You make me look so bad. Oh my, it's a joke. It's a joke. I think she might have Beyonce inside of her, but I don't know. I'll take that any day. No, it's like really scary. And when I said that she has two singles in Australia, like been on TV, all the things. She's just like, it's insane. Um, okay. So what I want, let's leave the, our listeners with something, you guys, this is going to be a two part interview just because she does have a BMA Academy, which I'm going to have her explain. Um, she has courses. You can sign up in her courses. You can grab her book. She's got 
an incredible Etsy store. You've got to go check that out. Um, but what do you want to tell the woman who may be sitting there? Who's like, I just, everyone's going to do it better than me. And I have so much baggage and I, what do you want to tell this girl? Who's just like, I'm not ready to start, you know, or I'm, I'm scared. Oh my God. Like, what if I do it wrong? What if I do it messy? What if I, what are you going to tell them? Okay. Yeah. This is such a good question. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, everyone's going to do it better than me. What's the point? Let me bring you in. So yes, people will do it better than you. It's okay. You don't have to be the best. That's something that I have personally had to learn is like, yeah, you're not the best. But there are still people who certainly need what you have. It's not about being the best. It's just about sharing that value that you have within you with the world. Mm -hmm. People need it your way. And what's best and what we perceive individually as being what's best is different to the next person. Everyone has. So so bring your magic out, you know, cultivate it and share it with the world. People need you. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs a coach in anything they want to do. Everyone needs to know how to better themselves in any aspect of their life. People are dying for leadership. And you might feel not ready. You're always going to feel not ready. I've been dealing with massive imposter syndrome just this last week as I'm leveling up. And it's a symptom of that. So if you're feeling that way and you're like, I'm not good enough for this and who am I? But you're on the right path. And and in my mind, it means that you have integrity because you want to show up and do it the right way. So keep going because you just do it. Just do it. And you'll fail so-called fail I have my fingers up like quoting fail but that's part of the journey and mm-hmm. I think we don't talk about that enough like I, I talked about this just quickly in a post the other day saying you know you hear that quote of like doing the same thing over and over is the definition of insanity no it's actually practice mm-hmm. you need to do the same thing over and over you're going to suck I've sucked at many things but because I have such grit and such like I will determination which I know you do keep going yeah. so I would say to her I would say to you like People need you. Your past does not define you. However, the sooner that you can embrace it, which I wish I would have done earlier and acknowledge it, like it's actually your superpower. Right. That's so good. Yeah. And like every time you fail, I love what you said. You're winning because you're learning. And if you quit right there, then then what? Like, that's not going to serve anybody. It's not going to serve yourself. And you have this purpose that needs to be... um, that needs to be spoken out, that needs to be heard, whether it's your story or whatever. And, and if it doesn't, then you're not serving anybody because you're further yeah. along in your journey than that person. So someone yeah. might be stuck in the abuse situation or with the spouse, mm-hmm. with the addiction. And they're like, but I'm stuck here. No, you're not like, I love it. You're not a tree. You can move like yeah. get yourself out surround yourself with those people who are pushing you for better because we won't let Natalie not put her book out. We won't let Natalie not put her (laughs) podcast. It's like, nope, just go do it messy, ready as a lie and just get going because, you know, and don't attach your happiness to your outcome. Like, I think that that is so, that needs to be like, say that again. Don't attach your happiness to your outcome. Believe in yourself. Because someone's yeah, waiting yeah, for you. Yeah, the expectations. Like, just give the expectations. Just create and you'll find your way. Just keep one foot. Just the next thing. Just what's the next thing? Yep. What's the one thing you need to do next? Just do that. Don't, 
you know, we can get so overwhelmed by the big picture, which you need to have. Mm. But just ask yourself right now, what's the next thing I need to do right now? And do that. Yeah. And go all in in your life, right? Go all in. Go all in, baby. Um, So what does, no, I just want to say this before you say it, but I believe that Natalie's story is so much so the lead her ship. She had, she had to be the one to lead her life. No one was going to do it for her. She could have stayed like attached to the dock, but she decided to, nope, we're going to put up our sails, even though there might be some holes in them sails. <laughs> we're going to go, you know? So what does the lead her ship mean to you? What, what can you kind of about it. Oh, I love this and I just love your podcast. I love everything about what you're doing, Meredith. I think it's super special, like so cool. Um, and when you ask me this, you know, what does it mean? I think, you know, if you think of your life as like a masterpiece, like a ship, and we've been given this incredible vehicle of time, like time on earth, like that's our ship. It's like, this is what you have. You've been blessed with this. Now it's time to lead the thing, like lead it. Like, what are you going to do with it? And it doesn't have to be some extravagant, like massive thing. You know, it it can be your journey. It's your journey and yours alone. And no one knows what that looks like, but you do. And I think just leading it is requiring you to get truly honest with yourself on a lot of things and want to do the work of getting better. Just wanting to undo the triggers and wanting to be better. And that is truly leading your life, leading your ship in a way that is, that brings joy. And that's what we're here for. Yep. You know? I love that. You guys. So she has the BMA Academy. And on this next episode, we are going to go diving in on what that is and why you need it. She's the branding expert. When I say that, like, you have no idea the education she has behind branding. So she is the branding expert. You will not want to miss this next episode. Thank you, Natalie, for being here. I love you so much. And I will be speaking to you on Voxer. Thank you. This is awesome. I love it. Bye. This show is brought to you by Coffee and Supply Co., and they have a gift for you. Looking for a new coffee experience? Try Coffee and Supply Co., located in Eagle, Idaho. It's family-owned and features a pour-over bar, a unique bite menu including vegan and gluten-free options, all locally sourced. If you mention Speak Boise, you'll receive 10% off any food and beverage. Visit coffeeandsupplyco.com. Hey guys, real quick, I wanted to interrupt this show to share this awesome new way to grow your business. It's what you don't know that will cost you. Tulu Peer Advisory Group is here for every single stage of your business growth. Find out more at T-A-L-L-O-O.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know. I love hearing from you guys. Tag me on Instagram at Meredith underscore Franklin and make sure to subscribe and leave me a review and tell us what you loved most about this podcast. Don't forget to send this episode to someone in your life who you know needs to hear this message. I love adding value to all of you. Thank you so much for listening and sharing. It means the world to me.